the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. One of the questions that I've always loved thinking through and digging into Scripture for is the question of human will. Now, I don't know if your college experience was like mine. You may not have been to college. That's completely fine. But I have vivid memories of sitting in friends' dorms or sitting in my apartment and having hours-long discussions with my friends about the nature of the human will and freedom. It was a fun time. This is what college was for me, all sorts of conversations about free will. My senior philosophy capstone class was one on free will, and it was a class that I cherished. It was in one of those rooms that is well-suited for discussion. We'd sit around a table. We would debate various ideas. We would read deeply about the will, and it's something that Reformed Christians care deeply about. One of the things that we believe as Reformed Christians and that we love to profess is that God is sovereign. What does that mean? Well, it means that God is in control, that God is the one who determines, that he is the one who schedules and orchestrates, that God is the one who gives the gift of salvation to those he determines that he will save. We're big here at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church on the sovereignty of God. God is in control. God is the author of salvation. God is the one who elects to salvation. God is the one who determines those who will be saved. And one of the confessions of the church says the following, and I want to just bring up uh, Canons of Dort, section 1, article 7. And this is on election. This is what our confessions say. Election is God's unchangeable purpose by which he did the following. Before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, God chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race which had fallen by its own fault from its original innocence into sin and ruin. Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the others, but lay with them in in the common misery. God did this in Christ, whom he also appointed from eternity to be the mediator, the head of all those chosen, and the foundation of their salvation. And so God decreed to give to Christ those chosen for salvation and to call and draw them effectively into Christ's fellowship through the word and spirit. In other words, God decreed to grant them true faith in Christ, to justify them, to sanctify them, and finally, after powerfully preserving them in the fellowship of the Son, to glorify them. God did this all in order to demonstrate his mercy to the praise of the riches of God's glorious grace. As scripture says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. With love he predestined us, whom he adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, by which he freely made us pleasing to himself and his beloved. And elsewhere, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 
All right. This is what we can bring the Westminster Confession of Faith up later. We'll talk about those Presbyterians later on in the course of this sermon. But at the very beginning, so this, this talk of election, this is something that Reformed Christians believe and profess. Now, this is a difficult doctrine for many people. And it brings up the question, all right, so if God is the one that does the determination of salvation, do I really have any genuine free will? Do I have free will? That's what we're going to explore. Let's examine together. I want to work through this important question step by step and at each point talking about important biblical truths. And hopefully I will build a case that we will see is biblical. So biblical truth Number one, God is the author of salvation and is in control of every aspect of salvation to the point of choosing those he will save. That's the first biblical truth that I want to present before you this evening. God is the author of salvation and is in control of every aspect of salvation to the point of choosing those he will save. This has been the case always. In the Old Testament, God chose a people for himself, first determining that he was going to have Abraham and then Abraham's descendants as his people. So let's start by turning to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 12, the very beginning of the Bible. We see God's sovereign choice at the very beginning, and it's repeated. Genesis 12, just 1 through 3, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God determined he was going to choose a particular person, Abram, and that he was going to make him his. He confirms this in Genesis 18, 16 to 19. So if you want to turn just a few pages over... The Genesis 18, 16 to 19. Let me read these few verses. Starting in verse 16. Then the men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham, by this time God had changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abraham went with them and set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So God chose Abraham. It was his sovereign choice. And not only did God choose Abraham, he chose Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel. And if you will turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, we'll see the same thing. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, we will see the same thing. I'm going to read for us Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God chose Abraham and God chose Abraham's descendants. And it was because God determined that the people of Israel were going to be his people that they became his people. Abraham didn't choose the Lord God. The people of Israel did not first choose the Lord God. God chose them and decided that that is how Israel was going to be saved and was going to be his people, God's sovereign choice. Now in the New Testament, God chooses a people for himself as well. He says it in the Gospel of John. And so I want to invite you to turn there with me to John 
Turn with me to John chapter 15. And while you're turning to John chapter 15, I'm just going to mention John chapter 6, verse 65 in passing. Turn with me to John 15. I'll mention in passing John 6, 65. Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Jesus says in talking to the people who are listening that you can only come to him if the Father first grants that you might come to him. And then when he's speaking to his disciples in John 15, verses 12 through 17, he talks about the fact that it was his choice of them. John 15, verse 12 and following says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you may love one another. And the choosing of Jesus is reaffirmed by the testimony of the Holy Spirit to those uh, about those whom the Father has chosen, that, that God is the one who does the choosing. Let me read to you a couple different important sections of Scripture. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians now, and we'll take a look at some of the choosing that is declared that God does in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read a fair bit of Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 3, and I'm just going to read a while in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So I'll, I'll I'll just stop right there, because this hits it pretty hard. We're told in verse 4 that he, that the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now that is really quite extraordinary because that means that God's act of choosing took place before there was even a world or human beings on it. Before the foundations of the earth was laid, God determined that he would save and redeem us. This speaks of his amazing grace to us, but also speaks of the fact that the choice was something that God did before we existed, so it wasn't based upon the choices that we were to make. God chose you before you even were. Many, 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 many thousands of years and eons before you were, God chose you. He chose you before he had even created the earth or created anything. He chose you. Ephesians chapter 1 goes on. If you take a look at verse 11, he restates the fact that this is a predestination that God does. Ephesians 1 verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is a choice that God made before the foundations of the earth, predestining us choosing us before we even were. The book of 1 Peter, verses 1 through 5, says the same thing. And so we're going to turn there together to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, talks about the same thing. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, says Peter in the book of 1 Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Do you see that? Elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus 
Christ, and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then, and then take a look with me at, at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'll just read it. It says, but we, it's verse 13 through 15 says, but we ought to also always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in truth. And then turn with me to Romans chapter nine, because this is a passage we need to sit with for a while. It's a very challenging passage as it relates to all of this. Starting at verse six and reading on, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills And he hardens whomever he wills. You'll say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, had endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for his glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That's a long section of scripture there in Romans chapter 9. But what is continually repeated by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, and, and it's just made perfectly clear with a pristine sort of clarity. He says that, that election has taken in order uh, that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, To listen to other messages from our audio ministry or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. That's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. Well, let's turn to biblical truth number two. God is not only in control of salvation, but God is in control over all human affairs and events, according to the scriptures. Turn with me to Psalm 135 for this one. God is in control not just of salvation, but over all human affairs and events. And Psalm 135 is one of my favorites for this one. God, you see, is in control of the weather. 
There are many parts of the scriptures that tell us about that, but I love the way that Psalm 135 tells of it, starting at verse 5, verses 5, 6, and 7, say, for I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on the earth, in the seas and all deeps. He, it is, who makes the cloud rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain, and who brings forth the wind from his storehouses. God, you see, is in control of the weather. God's not just in control of the weather, he's also in control of politics. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, a book right next to Psalms there, trying to make it easy on you, for this part at least. Psalm 21, verse 1, tells us of God's total control in the realm of politics. Proverbs 21, 1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is in control of the weather. God is in control of politics. God is in control of death and hell. Turn with me to the very end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. This is at the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, 17 and 18. We're told here, when I saw him, I fell on, this is when when John sees Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. God is in control of all things. He's in control of the weather. He's in control of politics. He's in control of death and hell. And so do we have free will? The answer is yes, we do. We do. All right, we do. The Bible makes it clear that God is sovereign over all things. He's in control of all things. And the Bible also makes it clear that we make genuine choices. Joshua 24 says this. You can turn with me to Joshua 24. Uh, Two verses, very famous verses. So if you just want to listen, you can listen. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The, the impassioned plea there that's coming from the servant of God is to choose who it is that you're going to serve and follow. Now, this isn't, this isn't just a pretend choice, right? You're not just a robot being forced into it. There is a genuine choice being made. And what Joshua is saying is, hey, are you going to follow after the Lord? Are you going to follow false gods? You need to make the choice. And I'm going to tell you where I'm going to stand. It's with God. In my house, it's with God. We're going to serve the Lord. This call to choose, this call to choose continues in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I want to turn, I want you to turn there with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Because there again is this call to choose. And it's not idle. It's not an idle, uh, like pretend choice sort of thing that Deuteronomy 30 gives to us. Deuteronomy 30, I'm going to read verses 15 and following. Deuteronomy chapter 30 on page 203 says this, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, 
but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land the Lord Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them. Here again, there is the call to choose that comes here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Such an extraordinarily powerful section of scripture. He calls heaven and earth to witness against the people and says, choose, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to obey? Are you going to follow God and keep his ways? Or are you going to turn to the ways of the people that surround you, the surrounding culture? Are you going to keep those sorts of ways? And this is a genuine call to choose. God isn't pretending that they have a choice, but he really has orchestrated it and they were going to operate as if they were puppets. This is a genuine choice. This continues, this continues throughout the New Testament as well. I mean, one of the most famous sections of scripture is, is uh, John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what John 3.16 tells us. And Romans 10 verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all that means is that if you turn to the Lord Jesus in trust and in faith, you're going to be saved. If you turn to Jesus and you say, I want to trust in you and I want to follow you, God's not going to come and say, well, you're not elect, so you don't get the chance to do that. How does this work together? Well, this is the challenge. (coughs) Because God calls us to choose And because God holds us accountable for moral choices, this speaks to us that we have free will and free choice. But here's the the challenging part. The Bible also says that that God is in total control. So, how does this fit? How does this work? Well, we believe that, that in God's sovereignty and his control, God is entirely in control and we also have free will and free choice. And this might be, this might be difficult, this might be, this might be hard, but at the very core of that is a deep and a profound mystery. How in the world can it be that God is in total control, but we also have freedom of choice and we're held accountable for, for what it is that we do? Well, let me just say that that this is true, right? I mean, so we've worked our way from Genesis to Revelation. We've seen the control of God demonstrated all throughout, but then we've also seen these powerful passages about the call to choose and the call to make decisions which presuppose and presume the fact that we have the ability to choose and that we are able to make choices. But please understand that, that for Christians all throughout history, these things have been held together. And, and we acknowledge that there's a tension and we affirm that there is mystery and that we understand that there's not going to be us working out exactly how those things work together. But we testify to the fact that both God's sovereignty and total control over all things and every aspect of life fits with the fact that we have free will and free choice. And the Reformed confessions of our brothers and sisters in, uh, in Presbyterian denominations say as much. And I'm going to pull up the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 9, which talks to us of free will. Now, let me just say at the beginning part of this that our Presbyterian brothers and sisters use much bigger words than we do in our confession, so you got to hang with me here, but this, I think, is really helpful. The Westminster Confession of Faith, so that's the Presbyterian version of our, you know, like Heidelberg Catechism, that's what they will turn to, or our, our Canons of Order, our Belgian Confession. It says this, this is chapter 9 on free will. Section 1, God hath endued the will of man with that natural liberty 
that it is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. This is what that's saying. That God has given to every person that he has created free choice. And that means that he is not forcing anybody to choose any good. He's not forcing anybody to choose any evil. God gives free will and free choice. God's sovereignty and human freedom are not opposed. The Christian always needs to operate with a certain sense of mystery in everything that we do. There are deep and profound mysteries that underlie a great deal of what we believe. Let me tell you a mysterious thing. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. There are not three gods, but there is one God. It's a mystery, isn't it? How can God be Father and God be Son and God be Spirit and these three be distinct and yet there be one God? How does this work? Again, let me quote my favorite theologian, St. Augustine. He said, if you deny the doctrine of the Trinity, you lose your salvation. But if you try to explain the doctrine of the Trinity, you lose your mind. And I think that that's so helpful. But what we say is this is a deep mystery and a profound mystery, and we can think around some of it, and we can kind of define the contours of the mystery, but we can't explain exactly how that works. Let me tell you a second mystery. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. How does that work? It's one of the things that we profess and believe to be true, and there's this amazing thing that's true that that divinity and humanity, they're not competitive. But somehow, Jesus can be completely a human being and without any competition, be fully God at the same time. That's an incredible mystery. But because we know that the divine and the human, that they need not compete with each other, God can be totally sovereign. And we have genuine freedom. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.